0: Welcome to the West Side Podcast, where you can find real help for real life. We hope you'll take a second right now and subscribe to this podcast and let us know how we can help. You can find out more at westsidecommunitychurch.com. Now join us for this week's installment of the Westside Podcast. Hey everybody, I'm glad to see you all, and uh, we are in the middle of a series right now called That's What He Said. We're talking about what Jesus said in Scripture, um, and the things that are of great consequence to you and me. And we've started out this series a couple weeks ago with um, a talk about the Bible, about can I really trust it? Last week about Jesus Christ himself. And today we're going to continue. And I want to, the message today is called The Secret to Your Security. I, I believe that security is very important. I mean, personal security, you know, the kind that, that makes you feel like um, you're confident and that you're solid and that you, you sort of have this ability to look out at life and go, I know that I'm going to make it. And I don't know about you, but I think there's a lot of the world that is kind of tearing us away from that right now. And I think that the more exposure that I personally have to what's going on in the news and the media, uh, the more I see kind of the circumstances around the world, it makes me question uh, what's happening. And, and, and we need to know that we have some security. So we're going to talk about that. I do want to start off this message. First of all, if you don't already have your notes out, would you grab them real quick out and so you can follow along? If you're online with us, get your notes up as well. You can do that right there on the app or uh, on, through the chat. We'd love to have you do that. But I want to say a, st- a sentence that might, that might sound a little controversial. Here it is. Faith in God can't help you unless... Faith in God can't help you unless, unless you know what you're believing in. Or actually, actually who you're believing in. That's really the the essence of what we're going to talk about today. I want to focus in on God the Father. Last week we talked about Jesus, God the Son. Next week we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit. And the Bible would refer to those three as God. And, you know, we've humans made up the word the Trinity, That's not actually in the Bible, but certainly the doctrine of the Trinity is taught, the idea that God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And today I want to take a deep dive on who is God, the Father? Who is this one that asks us to trust? I do want to pause to recognize and acknowledge that anytime you hear the word Father, it brings up different responses from different people. And, you know, we've just celebrated Father's Day a week ago, and I personally know that uh, many, many people are in a situation where that word is a trigger that's not, that's not positive. Yeah, have many friends in that situation where it's just a struggle to, to think. They're, the comparison to my creator is a word that, that doesn't give me great feelings, the, a word that doesn't build trust in my soul. And so I think one opportunity we have today is to possibly correct that. To correct it in the sense to paint the right picture, the the accurate picture. The question would be, what did Jesus say about God? And how do we know who he is? Because that's the real secret to your security is to know who God is so that you can base your life and your decisions on God. Now, I got a real disturbing email a couple of weeks ago. And it was from this person right here. This is, uh, let me see if anybody knows who this is. Anybody know who that is? That's Charles Schwab. Charles Schwab, okay, of the Charles Schwab investment firm. Um, I'm sure that it wasn't him personally that sent me the email, but I got an email from Charles Schwab, and I was like, what the heck? Why am I getting an email from Charles Schwab? I don't have any investments in Charles Schwab accounts, but actually, my TD America trade uh, TD Ameritrade accounts got bought by Charles Schwab, and so now I'm trusting my future to some dude who I'm suspicious of, let's be honest, because if he owns Charles Schwab, if he is Charles Schwab, then my only assumption would be that he's greedy, right, and he is taking anything that would be coming into me for my future, and he gains, and he's probably going to put them in his account, and I don't know if anybody else feels a little suspicious about big companies, about investment things and all that, but it's been, a, it's been a little bit of a roller coaster ride for all of us over the last 20 years. In fact, we have something called the Lost Decade. If you invested anything from 2001 to 2010, it pretty much went bye-bye, right? And uh, so it, it can be a little dicey with money. And, and so I've put my money in something that then got taken over by somebody else, and I'm real suspicious about it until... I heard Charles Schwab's story. And I got to listen to Charles Schwab's story and, and listen to an interview with Charles Schwab. And it totally changed my mind because I started to understand who he was. I started to understand that he started this investment firm because he wanted to help people who were losing their investments. He wanted to give the common person the ability to invest like the, the big boys used to, like the rich people could. And that's why Charles Schwab exists. So now I'm, my, my hopes are a little higher in this sellout that just happened but here's the problem, is that a lot of times you and me do that with God. Like, we see uh, we see the word God, or we see something about God, we, we imagine God, and we make assumptions about God. And uh, my question for you today would be, what are your assumptions about God? And how do you know that they're accurate? Because if you, and we all have assumptions about God, but the only question is, are they accurate? Because if we have false assumptions about God, and that's the basis for our security, then it could very well be that we get down the path just a little bit and this the rug's going to be pulled out from, from underneath us very well because because we've made false assumptions. And so let me talk to you a little bit about John chapter 14. In, in the Bible, in the New Testament, John chapter 14, we see the disciples... Uh, Jesus was walking with the disciples and he was with them for a number of years. You know, the, the disciples were regular people like you and me. They had lives, they had friends, they had concerns and they were excited about the prospect that God was with them. And that things were going to change and they were going to get better. And so Jesus was doing miracles with them and feeding all these people and, you know, helping them and teaching them. And it was a wonderful, wonderful time. And then, towards the end of those three years that Jesus' pub- public ministry was happening, he pulls them together in this place called the upper room and he has the Last Supper with them. And it was, it was, kind of triggering for them because he started to introduce all of these changes, big shifts, things that they had been kind of gotten used to. And I you know, that's kind of like you and me, like the world it seems like it's constantly changing around us and the things that we start to get used to they get pulled away. So there was this great insecurity. They were in the upper room. Jesus is saying things like, uh, I'm going to go away. And where I'm going, you can't come. And you know, they they were confused and they were disturbed. He said things like, somebody in here is going to betray me. But these were their best friends. I mean, these, this was the 12. This was like the crew. This was like people they thought they could trust. They would spent years with these people. And so they're like, one of us is going to betray you? Then he says, Peter, you're going to deny me. And they're they're like, that can't, no way Peter would, he's our leader. There's no way. You know, all of a sudden the things that they thought were true about Jesus, about their faith journey, about all those things, about their friends, were called into question by Jesus himself. And he said these words that I think apply to you and me. He says in John chapter 14, this is not in your notes, but in, in verse 1 he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. And you know when something big happens in your life, and you get shook, and and you're, you're reacting, you're afraid, you're maybe going off the deep end a little bit, and somebody comes to you and says don't let your heart be troubled. I mean, what's your reaction to that? You know, you're like, oh, yeah. Tell you, you know. You come up with something and you say it to them. But he says, don't let your heart be troubled. And, and he reassures them of, look, I'm, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to go to prepare a place for you. And he says in the end, you're going to be with me forever. I mean, he gives them all these great reassurances. And then, just like you and me probably would if our whole world got changed, in John chapter 14, Philip said this. He says, Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. Show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. In other words, Philip is like, we know, yeah, all the good things you just said, that's great, but what we want to know is, who's the Father? They were craving a deeper knowledge about God the Father. And Jesus replied, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. I mean, Jesus, Colossians 1 says he was he is the exact representation of God. So he is, anything that Jesus said, anything that Jesus did was exactly what God would have said and exactly what God would have done. He represented the character of God the Father. We're going to talk a little bit more next week about the idea of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. But the basic thing on the Trinity is that God is one uh, essence, yet three personalities, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, with three roles in, in God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. They work three different roles in our lives. And we'll learn more about that next week. But the disciples were hungry to know about that. And what Jesus essentially says here is that your relationship with the Father is what brings you security. Your relationship with God the Father is what brings you security. That is the secret to your security. And again, I want to I kind of, in some ways, agitate you a little bit, if that's what's necessary, to ask you the question, do you know who God is? Do you know what you believe about God? And do you know whether those things are accurate? Because if a relationship with our Creator is supposed to bring us security, we need to know who He is and what He's like in order to have that security. And so just to get practical for a second, how you respond to big shifts in in your life really depends. You know, the news that you get when things are difficult can really turn you in, in a different direction if you're not rooted, if you're not grounded, if you're not standing on something that doesn't change. And I think that's really why we're talking about this today, because Jesus brought this up in a way that really shows that character is what counts. Uh, when I was little, I remember this one very shaping experience for me. It was it a was really difficult experience that I went through. I was about five years old. My parents were shopping in this store called Woolworths. I don't know. I, I said it at the last service. Everybody laughed, too. Like, Woolworths. And anyone who's over 100 knows exactly what that is. Um, it's, a, it's a store. It was a store back in the old days, okay? And, um, and so my family was at this Woolworths store which is like a giant department store. And and so I never have liked shopping. This is probably part of the reason why I got lost. Well, what happened was I went in to make a fort in the rounder where the jeans were. And I just, you know, was bored. So I'm like, mom, I'm gonna go over here. And and this is like my habit, my pattern. I still do it to this day. Go make a fort in the rounder where the jeans are. Um, You know, so I'm in there thinking mom was gonna stay put, but she thought I left. And so... I'm like I come out of there to find mom and she's gone and I can't find my dad, I can't find my sister. I'm just like, "Oh my gosh, I'm in this giant place." I was like 5 years old, and what happened was this very sweet older gentleman came over and found me and he walked me over to the customer service counter. And I remember this like it was yesterday because I always think it's funny this would never happen these days, but he picks me up like by the armpits and sets me on the customer service counter. And I keep thinking, like, did they have liability insurance? You know, uh, because I don't think anyone would do that these days. uh, Because what if I fell off or whatever? But anyways, this guy gave me something that totally calmed me down. A (laughs) lifesaver. And for a five-year-old kid, that's all I needed, right? He told me, we got a hold of your parents, and he said these words. They're coming to get you. (sighs) They're coming to get me. Mom and dad are gonna be here. And, you know, and that just brings security when you feel lost, right? To know that they're coming to get me. And I want you to see something in your notes. So if you'd write this down, I think this would be helpful for you and me is this. And this is how this always works. It always happens like this is that revelation comes before relationship. You can write that down in your notes. Revelation comes before relationship. You think to yourself, and I think to myself, I should get to know that person. Or I want to I be near that person. You know, you might think to yourself, I want to become a follower of Jesus. Or I want to I be a Christian. Or you might think to yourself, I don't want to be a Christian. I don't want to be associated with that stuff. Well, that's all based on something. That's all based on who we think, our perception, our assumption of who God is. And so revelation comes before relationship. And Jesus said, I came to be the revealer. I'm here to show you who the Father is. Because if you don't know who the Father is, you can't have a relationship with him. It'd be like getting married and never getting to know your spouse. That wouldn't actually be a relationship. That would be a contract. And God's not asking us to have a contract with him. That's not, that's not what he came for. He came to have a relationship with us, you know? And that's, that requires us to understand who he is. And I want to ask you a favor today. In fact, I want to I actually give you a challenge about this. Will you please stop taking everybody's word for who God is? Will you please stop taking the media's word for who God is? Stop taking your skeptical friend's word for who God is or your parent's word for who God is or your spouse's word for who God is. Find out yourself who God is. How do you do that? Well, you dig, you learn, you search. You become a student of who is God. Because if this is the most consequential fact in the universe, it probably deserves our attention. We should know who God is. So that we can know God in a way that gives us security. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus helps us in a major way. And this is kind of the the heart of what I want to share today is who is God and how do we know who God is? Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is teaching the Sermon on the Mount and he's teaching the Lord's Prayer. And so as the disciples were like, teach us how to pray, they said in another one of the Gospels, he unpacked how to pray and why that matters so much. And he gave us this pattern of prayer. And, uh, and, and so I want to kind of read you what leads up to it. It says in verse seven of Matthew six, when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again, just to pause right there. Remember Jesus didn't come. God didn't create us for religion. That was never his intent. People have made up religion over and over and over again, and there's bazillions of them, right? And what they all basically are in one form or another is a checklist of things you're supposed to do to get closer to God. But what we know for a fact is that God sent his one and only son to have a relationship with us, to break through all of that stuff, to do all the things we could never do. You could never, you could never, and I could never check off all the things all the time and be good enough. And so we're so grateful for Jesus. And he said, this is most people's approach to thinking about a relationship with God. is It's religion. But he's like, I didn't come for that. So verse eight says, don't be like them for your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. I like that he uses that word father. And we're gonna begin to see his depiction of father is so not a deadbeat dad. It is so not an absentee parent. It is so not a demanding parent or whatever image or caricature you might have in your mind about father character, what we know is that there's been many perversions over time, but that this is the one and true description of what a father really is. And it gives us hope. So Jesus said, pray like this. And as he's praying, he's telling us who God is. So I'm going to ask you to do me a favor and read this part out loud with me. If you grew up in church, perhaps you memorized the Lord's Prayer. Just a little warning, I'm going to read it from a modern translation, so it might not be exact, so you might want to pay attention to the words on the screen just so we all say the same thing, but it goes like this. Read it out loud with me. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. And if you grew up memorizing it, it goes, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Right? Uh, So you might might have wanted to say all of that. But Jesus gives us in this passage some key things about God. Not only does he teach us that we can pray and how to pray, some examples of things to pray for. I'm not a big believer that this is something you have to recite every time you want to pray. I think prayer is a fluid thing, and we're going to talk about it more this week in our spiritual habits workshop, which I'm looking forward to. But the truth is, is that there's an invitation in this. And here's the invitation you can write this down in your notes, is that God wants us to walk with Him. The invitation is to walk with God. Walk with God." Anybody ever heard somebody say something about their "walk with God? Maybe, maybe not. I, I, when I was growing up, people would throw this word around like everybody knew what it meant. And I get a little kind of like irritated sometimes when we Christians throw words around like everybody should know what they mean. Uh, So let's be careful about that. But what really that refers to is a relationship with God. That, you know, if somebody said, I have a walk with God, they're talking about they have a relationship with God. And a walk would refer to a kind of relationship with God. It's supposed to indicate an intimate relationship with God. And where it comes from, in case you're not sure, is way back in the very first book of the Bible in Genesis... We've, we learned something about the first two humans, Adam and Eve, that they were in a place called the Garden of Eden, and they were doing something in that place, and it was actually walking with God, like actually walking with God. I mean, they had, a, they, they had an emotional relationship with God, but they also had a physical, like he was there with them. They were walking with him physically in the Garden of Eden, the place of perfection. So when you see that God wants you to walk with him, It goes back to that image of before sin entered the world, before everything got all messed up and there was all this chaos and violence and natural disasters, before all of that, when it was like it was supposed to be in the first place, God was walking with people. He was there with them. He was the the source of their security and their direction and all those things. And I think that the Lord's Prayer is just an invitation to get back to the way it was supposed to be in the first place. The great theologian John Calvin said this, said man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. I think that's an interesting way to put it because most of us probably wouldn't jump to the the conclusion that we're supposed to enjoy God, like that that's the one thing he wants. What are you supposed to do? Enjoy God. I think we would say we're supposed to obey him. We might get the glorify part. We might get the I got to do what he says part. But do we get why? It's because he's going, no, I want you to enjoy me forever. Enjoy this relationship. Again, back to that Garden of Eden scene to see how close you could be with God and how, how wonderful that relationship could be. In, uh, in your notes, there's a list of the, the, the Lord's Prayer and the characteristics that we learn uh, from the Lord's Prayer. And I'm just gonna walk through them with you real quick, okay? So if you wanna know who God is, Jesus goes, if, you, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So in other words, anytime you wonder what God is like, just look at Jesus. He's saying, you can, you can learn that from me. In fact, we learn that he is called the Word. In John chapter one, it says, in the beginning was the Word, which is referring to Jesus. And it says the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Again, back to Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all are God. But what we learn from that is that Jesus is the communication of who God is. So whenever you wonder, what is God like? Well, you can always find out by just looking at the person of Jesus. And when he prays this prayer, I think he gives us more about God the Father. So he says this, and you can see these in your notes. He says, Father, God is Father. God is Father. If you're not sure whether you want God to be your Father because your image of Father is tainted, then understand what he means by that is this, is that God is personal, Much different than maybe like if you grew up with a deistic view of the world, where God created the world and then he left us alone, abandoned us basically, figure it out for ourselves. That's one view of life. But I don't think, if you read scripture, I don't think you could possibly come up with that conclusion that that's how God is. He's so personal, he shows up all the time. He gets in our business, doesn't he? And, and he wants to be involved. He's personal. He's loving. I mean, God is loving. God is Father, our Father in heaven. He's personal. He's loving. And so what does he want you to do? You might want to write this word out next to that, Father. Enjoy. Enjoy. I mean, there's nothing I enjoy more when my kids are around than just hanging out with them, just to see them, just to be with them, just to watch them when they were little, you know, to watch them blow out the candles on their birthday cake, to watch them on their first, on their first birthday, smear spaghetti all over their bodies, you know. It was so fun to watch them get the training wheels off the bike and crash, but get back up and get back on it, you know, to watch them, all those things, Enjoy. I, enjoy. I love being around my kids. And if I feel that way about my kids, God the Father feels even more so that way about you. He loves you. He enjoys you. He likes you. He wants to be that kind of father in your life. The second one, holy. God is holy. May your name be kept holy. I do believe that I, we've lost a little bit of sight of this in our culture. That I'm not sure people see value in holiness. I, I think it's misunderstood. I think many people, if they do believe in God, they've painted their own picture of God, and so holiness has sort of been taken out of the mix. If we're if we're building our own, I mean, if it's like a build a bear situation where we just get to decide what God's going to look like, then we probably all would leave this one out because with holiness comes some accountability, and that gets uncomfortable. And yet Jesus Christ Himself said. May your name be kept holy. There was this reverence that Jesus was insinuating was gonna be a part of our relationship with this creator that is perfect and is awesome. I have a friend who, uh, every time I say the word awesome, like the other day I said something and I said it was awesome. And he always corrects me, he's a great friend. He he said, no, it was not, only God is awesome. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, you know what? You're right. And the thing I was talking about wasn't truly awesome. What is awesome? It means awe-inspiring. That, that our jaw would drop when we see it. And we're like, oh, God is awesome. And for that reason, he is asking you and me for something. And, and here's what the word is, if you want to write it out to the, to the side, is honor. To honor him. That God is worthy of Honor. In every aspect, in, in 1 Corinthians 6, we're told, honor God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. And so they, they belong to him. And so we, we see God as this holy one now, which, which in some ways should give us more confidence when we believe in him because he's perfect in all the ways that we're not. And I'm so grateful because he makes up for all my lack in that sense. And he attaches me to himself in that sense. And I can gain from all that he is. Jesus said he's king. He said, may your kingdom come soon. King. He's king. He is the king. King of kings, apparently. And what that really means is is that he has a kingdom and he does king-like things. So he has a kingdom that he's building And I've been challenged recently, asked, are you trying to build your castle or are you trying to build his kingdom? And that's a good question for all of us to answer. Are you trying to build your castle? Are you trying to build his kingdom? What are you about? What are you attaching yourself to? What is your purpose? Because if it's not building God's kingdom, if it's not aligning yourself with what God is doing, then you are actually missing out on the motivation that you could have. And the meaning that you could have because he's a king and he's doing king-like things. He's sovereign as a king, meaning he knows everything and he's in control of everything as much as it doesn't seem like it most of the time, right? We see a natural disaster or someone that we know has something devastating happen to them and we ask that question, why did God let this happen? But Jesus said, may your kingdom come. In other words, he has a kingdom. He knows what he's doing. We do have to trust in that. But he's a God who's on a mission. He's constantly trying to expand his kingdom to bring it from there to here. And we get to partner with him in that. And in that way, what, what he's asking us for as the king is to follow, that we'd follow. Because some days he's going to say, hey, everybody, what we're doing today is we're getting around the table. We're having a big feast. And it's going to be awesome. And so bring, bring yourself, bring a friend. And he's going to get us around the table. Some days he's going to say, find your weapon. We're going on a mission. We're, we're, it's battle time. And it's time to follow him into that. And so the king is gonna give us our orders and we're gonna do it because he's the king. Jesus says he's provider. He says, give us today the food that we need. And he's our provider. He's, Jesus is like, don't worry about whether you have enough to eat or drink or what to wear. He says, your father knows all that stuff. He says, give us today the food we need. I'm always, you know, when I pray that prayer, sometimes I add words, give us today, And for the next 364 days today, give it all to us right now. Give us a year's worth, God, you know? And sometimes I'm a little disappointed with what shows up at the door, are you? Like, that's all? Like, that's all you're gonna give me, God? And then he reminds me, today, yep, that's it. That's all you need today. And I'm like, yeah, but I need this stuff, and I'm not sure you're gonna show up tomorrow because tomorrow's not here yet, but we got some big needs coming tomorrow, so could you just deliver that today? And I always get a no, (laughs) I don't know if you do or not. I think he wants us to be dependent in a dependent relationship. Because every time, this happens to most of us, every time he gives us more than we need, sometimes we get a little self-confident in that. And, and I think he pulls us back to, like, let's wait on our Father for the provision. He's able, he's willing. So what does he want us to do because he's the provider? He wants us to ask. He wants us to ask. This morning... Before church, somebody shared a really big need with me that had happened in their life. They had a grandchild born, and the grandchild's not breathing on their own. Just brand new newborn grandchild not breathing on their own. Devastating, right? And so, you know what we did? We stopped. She told me the name of this young child, and we prayed. Right then and there. Because, because what else are we going to do? we got to ask God to intervene. Put the breath of life in those little lungs so this baby can grow up to live out their purpose that God gave them. And and God wants you and me to ask. It says, "Forgiver." Jesus said he's a forgiver. He says, "And forgive us our sins." Forgive us our sins. I mean, thank God, he is a forgiver. Jesus came to prove that by dying on the cross for us, but you know, God is merciful. We see that all through scripture from Genesis to Revelation. If you're wondering what God is like, but you have this perception, this assumption because of something that happened to you or something that somebody said or a book that you read or a class that you went to as a freshman in college, and you go, well, God is like this. Are you sure? Because Jesus Christ said he's a forgiver and he will forgive us our sins. He's merciful. The other thing, he's committed. God is so committed to this relationship. You know, when my wife and I got married, I was standing uh, up here and I said some words to her. They, they went like this. Till death do us part. Till death do us part. I mean, that was like a commitment. Now, does everybody in America who says those words, do they keep that promise? No and I, and i get and this is no shame on anyone who's been through a divorce at all i get that there's lots of different circumstances and problems and reasons and things but our commitment is not the same as god's commitment his commitment is perfect so when he says till death do us part he will not break that promise you give your heart to to jesus you give your heart to god he will keep his promise and that's a wonderful thing he's a forgiver so what does he want us to do he wants us to confess Like when when there's a problem, when there's an issue, when we wander away, which we will, you know, we, we constantly do, he says, confess, just bring it to me, just tell me, just get on the same page, just break that wall down, just let me open that door back up so we can have that relationship. You remember the walk with God one, and that's why Jesus said, forgive us of our sins, because that keeps our relationship clear with God. Last one, rescuer, he's a rescuer. He said, rescue us from the evil one. I love it because he's active. I mean, God is so involved in our lives. When, when we cry out to him, I mean, it's like he calls, he, he sends the 911. He, he sends the chopper. He, he throws out the life preserver. Like he's there. He's a rescuer. And I think we see him as such an active God. And he he throws out that lifeline, and he he's basically coming for you and me. That's how I see God now. When I read that, I'm like, okay, God is help is on the way. That's what I see. He is coming for you and me to help us. Another formative thing that happened to me when I was about five years old. We were living in Costa Mesa, California. Um, we, We lived in this little tiny house in Costa Mesa, and I grew up creative. I've decided to start saying it that way. I grew up creative. I used to say I grew up poor. But I changed my mind. I grew up creative. My mom is the most creative person I know. She could make anything out of nothing. Always could, still can She's like Wonder Woman. And, uh, you know, I've always been fascinated. How do you, like, where did you come up with this stuff? Because, you know, we didn't always have a lot. My dad was the most optimistic person that I knew. He still is. I mean, like, he thought everything was gonna be great. And so, you know, between my mom being able to create anything out of nothing and my dad being the most optimistic person, it was kind of fun actually growing up creative because we'd always just be on an adventure. One time, uh, we'd had no food in the house at all. I was five. And I remember the feeling of looking through the cupboards and actually there was no food in the house because we couldn't afford anything at that moment. And I don't know if anybody else watching or listening has had that experience, but it, it's, it's not a great feeling. And I remember my parents coming to my sister and I saying, you know what we need to do? We need to pray that God will provide for us. And what is a five-year-old going to think about that? Five-year-old's going to say, oh, okay, and pray, right? So me and my sister, we prayed. My parents prayed. Well, that same day, this lady named Isophene rolls up to our house in this three-wheeled electric vehicle. And I think she was, I mean, this was a lady from our church who didn't know anything about our situation, but had also been praying and had heard from God, take two bags of groceries over to that house today. And she did. She rolls up in her three-wheeled electric vehicle, gets out, and brings two bags of groceries. Now, she was not a young lady. I think she was 100 uh 160 maybe you know because as a 5 year old anyone who's over 20 looks old right so she was this old lady and she somehow had the wherewithal to go get these groceries and bring them to us and you know what my parents did is they turned to me and my sister and said see god will provide i'll tell you what that changed me forever to know as a kid that when you pray god hears and he answers that's been ha- that stuff's been happening all my life because when we pray he hears and he answers but there is this little thing of if we believe, right? What do you believe about God? Who is he to you? Because if he's not the person who Jesus said he was, then you've got some false assumptions. And we need to bring those in alignment because only if we have the correct view of who God really is will we experience the fullness of life that he came to give us and to be able to receive the promises that he wants to give us. So let me, let me just have you fill this in before we wrap this message up. Watch this. In your notes, put it down. You can't walk with God until you trust him. You can't walk with God until you trust him. And you can't trust him until you know him. We have to get to know God in order to trust him. We have to trust him to be able to walk with him. And and it's in that order. And so today my, my plea for you would be, let's get to know God. I mean, I think that God would want you and me to fully exploit all the benefits of being in a relationship with him, don't you? That we wouldn't leave anything on the table that we wouldn't be like, well, you know, it's it's pretty good. But Jesus is going, no, I came to give you life in all of its fullness. And if you're not experiencing that, then there's more to be had. And how do you have it? Well, it is by knowing God. That is what Jesus himself said, to know him. That is eternal life. And so I want to give you one more example of how this happens there was this gentile woman in the new testament Matthew chapter 15 and Jesus had gone out on this mission up north it was outside of Israel and he was doing these great miracles and all of a sudden this lady who had her daughter that had a massive need came to Jesus and said oh healer you know heal my daughter and he's like no sorry i didn't come for you i came for the Jews what a devastating answer from Jesus Christ and she said, well, yeah, but I mean, you know, I know you can help me. I know you have the power. And he goes, no, I didn't. I didn't come for you. He goes, it wouldn't be right for me to take what was meant for, you know, the king's son and throw it to the dogs. He called her. He said, throw it to the dogs. But do you know what she did? Instead of being offended, she had faith. She said, sir, even the dogs can eat the scraps from the table. She pushed back. She persisted. And Jesus said these words he said, your faith is great. Your request is granted. Wow. Whether you think you fit in to God's kingdom or not, whether you think you grew up with the right training or the right pedigree, whether you think you know all the right things or not, or do all the right things or not, Jesus said, your faith is great. Your request has been granted because this lady started to understand who God was and she persisted because of it. She's like, I'm not giving up on that because I know God and I know that he's going to come through. And my prayer for all of us would be this, is that, could we be those people who go, I'm going to get to know God and I'm going to hang on until he comes through? Because maybe you're going through a hard time right now. And for you, it's easy to back off of your faith. It's easy to create distance it's easy to try to come up with other non-God solutions, human solutions, things that I can do for myself because I don't know how God is going to respond. But if we know God, then we know we can trust God and we know he's going to come through. So I want to pray with you right now. If you'd bow your heads with me and close your eyes and let's just ask God to like show himself to us that he would be real to us in this moment. I mean, again, back to Adam and Eve. like They didn't have an imaginary relationship with God. It was as real as a husband and wife holding hands. It was powerful. It was intimate. It was walking together. And I know that God wants that for you and me as well. Lord, we pray today that you would continue to show yourself to us. I pray for faith for all of us to look at you and to see you for who you are and to believe. And maybe you're here today and and you've been through it. You've got some stuff that has really thrown you for a loop. And I think Jesus would tell you today, come back over here and stand on the rock. Come back over here and put your faith back in your heavenly father. Come back over here and grab the hand of your creator and walk with him and be close to him and know him and trust him and love him and let him love you. Because Jesus Christ showed us everything we need to know about God. And he's so faithful. Lord, I pray that you would restore our faith in you that even this week, we might be people who step out in a way to, to, to say, I'm going to trust you in this situation. I'm going I'm to stay faithful to you and know that you're going to stay faithful to me. God, we pray that you'd open some doors for those who are stepping out in faith today in whatever area you lead them to. And Lord, I pray for those who are watching or listening, that, that uh, participating here in person, maybe that, that, that haven't yet said yes to you. Jesus as the Savior. If you've never said yes to Jesus, today is your moment. He brought you here for this. You could tell him right where you're at, Jesus, today I'm trusting in you as my Savior. I want to follow you. I believe in you, your life, your death, your resurrection, and I receive your grace today. The Bible says if anyone believes in him, he gives them the power to become the children of God. So welcome to the family. We're excited about what God is doing in this place. And, and God, we ask that you would give us power and strength this week as we stand on you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the West Side Podcast. We hope that you'll be taking some next steps in your faith journey, and we'd love to help with that. The most important step you can take is following Jesus. And if today you decided to make that step, we want to encourage you and help you. You can text the word JESUS to 503-905-9067, and we're going to send you some things in the mail to help you grow in your faith. We also would encourage you to stop by this Sunday for a live service, either online or on-site right here in the Portland, Oregon area. You can find out more at westsidecommunitychurch.com.